In our story from the Gospel of Luke this morning, we are presented first with a reference to two disciples, uh, the two that had been returning, that had returned from their trip to Emmaus. Emmaus was a small village just outside of Jerusalem, maybe seven, eight miles. And so in this particular story, uh, these two disciples that have had an encounter with the crucified and risen Jesus come back to tell the other disciples. Now what's interesting here is that these two disciples, if you go back to the Emmaus story, are not a part of the original 12 disciples, or at this point, 11 disciples. Um, they are um, two of additional disciples. And we know that Luke often referred to multiple disciples besides the 12. Um, in chapter 9, Jesus sends the 12 out on mission. In chapter 10, he sends the 72 or the 70 out, depending on your translation, um, out to, uh, to do mission. And so what we know is that um, there were more disciples than just the 12 or the 11. Uh, there were more disciples, and they were always training and teaching more disciples, more people to follow Jesus. And, and so my point in raising this this morning is just a reminder that the church is not the pastor, uh, nor is the church a group of, a small group of leaders in the church. The church is truly the church when we are making dozens and dozens of disciples, when we are not just kind of doing Bible studies, but we are focused intently on replicating the ways of Jesus. And that will include Bible studies, but that will also include a lot of other conversations and discussions about our lives. So in this beginning of this story, the disciples are the ones who have come to report that they have seen the crucified and risen Jesus. And what's interesting is um, it takes these two disciples quite a while to kind of figure out that it's been Jesus who has accompanied them on the road to Emmaus all along. He has walked with them all afternoon. As a matter of fact, at one point, these two disciples look at him and, and they ask, uh, you must be the only person in Jerusalem who, is, who has not heard about all the things that have happened here the last few days. I, I find that funny. I'm sorry. I, I mean, they're saying this to Jesus. <laughs> He's the one that not only has heard about it, but has lived it, has died it, and has lived it again. Um, and so, a bit of irony, I guess. As, as we take a look at that, we are reminded, though, of how these early disciples, these followers of Jesus, really struggled with his death. It is not something that they just accepted and believed. I think we often think that uh, you know, I wish I would have been alive when Jesus was doing his stuff and when he was crucified and raised again from the... If I would have seen Jesus, then I would have believed him. But from these resurrection stories, what we see is that these disciples, even though they had lived with him, followed him, learned from him, they still had questions and they still had doubts. And they, they reacted differently to the crisis. You know, and it speaks to us today because we are living through a crisis 
And we all react differently to it as well, do we not? I mean, let's take a look at these disciples. Some of them were like Peter. Uh, Peter was the angry disciple. He was the one that in the Garden of Gethsemane at the Mount of Olives, on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he's the one that pulled his knife and started going after the temple police who were there to arrest Jesus. Some of you can relate to Peter. I mean, you're, you're ready to pull your sword. You're ready to go after the authorities, no matter who they are, whether it's the government or, or the scientists or the politicians or, or whomever. You don't really care, maybe. Um, you're just angry. And that's true. That's Many of us have had experiences of anger. And so that's gotten in the way of us seeing clearly that Jesus is raised from the dead. The crucified Jesus is alive. It's not just the anger, though. Sometimes it's the sadness that gets in the way. Mary goes to the tomb on that Easter morning, and as she, as she hangs around the tomb, she realizes that the body isn't there, and she begins to weep. She is crying relentlessly. And meanwhile, angels appear, then she turns around and she confronts this gentleman who begins to ask her why she's weeping. It's Jesus, but she doesn't recognize him. <laughs> Jesus is talking to her face to face, and she's sitting there weeping with tears filled with sadness because she still sees her beloved rabbi as dead, but now not just dead, uh, taken away. So she asks him, thinking he's the gardener, gardener, where have you taken his body? She doesn't even realize it until he calls her by name, Mary. And then she recognizes that it's Jesus. And the sadness has dissipated. And it has been filled with joy. So these stories remind us that the disciples struggled with questions about Jesus' death and resurrection, just like we might struggle with questions. And some of you can understand Mary and her sadness. This has been a sad year for many. I get emails and calls from, from parishioners, from people of the church here, um, had um, all kinds of contacts of people that have told me um, how hard it has been because they haven't been able to see their loved ones. They've been isolated. And, and how painful that is to be separated from those whom you love. And so there is a lot of sadness. And, and not just the isolation sadness, but there's also been grief sadness. We've had members who have lost loved ones this past year who have not been able to mourn in proper ways, in public ways. And so it's been a very difficult and challenging year with a lot of sadness. I mean, it's been such a strange and sad year. For so many of us, it may be difficult for us to recognize the resurrected Jesus, just like those early disciples. Some of the disciples were stoic through all of this. They didn't really believe it, but they weren't going to really show any emotion. They're just going to kind of keep it all locked down. That's 
Some of us, uh, especially us men from Northern European descent, have learned to do that. We were trained not to cry. We were trained not to have feelings. And, and so we're, we're, we're just going to kind of be stoic about it. We're not going to really get involved. But what do you do when Jesus appears? When Jesus reveals himself, well, we can be kind of like those early disciples. In, uh, in Luke's gospel, for example, um, it says that, uh, that the women who had accompanied Jesus had returned to the apostles after they'd been to the tomb and they'd seen two angels who had told them about Jesus' resurrection. They come back and they tell with great excitement and joy this news, this good news to the disciples. And this is the response of the disciples. But these words, the words from the women, seemed to them like an idle tale, and they did not believe them. Unbelief, anger, sadness, loss of feelings, all of these things become blockages to Jesus, to his revelation, to the awakening that by the power of the Holy Spirit, he is alive and he is real. When I think about this unbelief, I'm reminded of a, a book that I just purchased and i uh, just kind of gotten into the first section of it. Um, so I, I'm very excited because I've loved the first part of it already. Um, but the point of the book is that we as Christians today because of our feelings or lack of feelings, because of our sadness, because of our anger, whatever, that, that the way we lived our lives is that we have been praying to God to keep us safe. Just don't let anything happen to us. Keep us safe. Protect us. And I admit, I pray that. But this writer is saying, what would the church look like if we prayed to God, not to keep us safe, but to make us dangerous. You see, when we struggle with belief, we're not going to be very dangerous. When we allow the blockages to keep faith at a distance, we're not going to be very compelling. And so unbelief in the crucified and risen Jesus is not something that just happened back then, it is alive and well today, this unbelief. Some have learned that they don't need the church, the body of Christ. They've discovered, well, I can talk to Jesus on my own whenever I want, and that's, that's sufficient. They don't need to go to a place of worship on Sundays anymore. After all, they're forced to stop going to worship by the church, right? We told everybody not to come. So why start up again? In the midst of all these reactions, how do we keep the testimonies of Jesus alive? The testimonies about his death and resurrection, how do we keep them alive and relevant for, for us today? How do we keep them in front of us 
How will we see Jesus? How will we experience Jesus? How will we hear Jesus? Those are, I think, essential and important questions that this gospel story is asking us. Are we allowing ourselves to just be lulled into a quietness? When what Jesus really wants is for us to be awakened and enlivened by the Holy Spirit. That is why I entitled this sermon, I Am Not a Ghost. It fits well with our overall theme, lingering in the graveyard, doesn't it? When we think about that theme, lingering in the graveyard, Jesus remained for 40 days with his disciples. And he did that intently with a purpose. He lingered, rather than to shoot off right into heaven, he lingered so that he could work with them, continue to teach them, help them to see the fulfillment that he had done for us. And so, in this particular story, what we are hearing is that Jesus is not an apparition, not a spiritual experience, that Jesus is not a ghost. And when we begin to look at these stories with the eyes of a disciple, then we begin to see the resurrected Jesus. We begin to see that indeed he wasn't a ghost. The crucified and resurrected Jesus was truly alive because he could be touched. He could be physically felt. So when we met last Sunday, we talked about uh, from the Gospel of John how, how Jesus had appeared to the disciples, but Thomas wasn't there. And so when they told him with excitement that they had seen him, Thomas didn't believe them. He said, unless I can put my fingers into his hands, the nail holes, unless I can put my hand into his side, his side where they threw the spear through, unless I can do that, I will not believe. And so when Jesus appears to the disciples, again a week later on the Sabbath, in the evening when he comes to them, Thomas is now with them, and the first thing he says to Thomas is, Thomas, come, put your fingers in my hand. Put your hand in my side. You see, the disciples testify that they actually touched the resurrected Jesus. Then we have the story that we get the tail end of today of the two disciples on the road to Emmaus. And when when they were on that road, it says in verse 35 that he ate with them. Now, they spent the afternoon with him, telling him about all the things that had happened. He opened the scriptures for them, opened, enlightened their eyes to the word of God, and they still didn't recognize him until when they ate with him, he broke the bread. And in the breaking of the bread, they could see him. He was revealed to them. And so what we see is that we see Jesus by the testimonies of how they touched him, but we also see Jesus by the ways he ate with them. He didn't just eat with them before his death. He ate with them after his death. 
And not only did he eat with them, but he walked with them. In our story for today, he is walking with these disciples. He's appearing to them. And as he appears to them, he has them come and touch him. And he has them give him something to eat. He asks for food and they give him a piece of broiled fish. So in today's gospel, we get the combination of the last two stories. The, the story of John, from John's gospel, of Thomas touching Jesus, and the story of the two disciples in Emmaus who recognize Jesus when they eat with him and he breaks the bread with them. Today, they get to touch him and they get to eat with him. He actually eats a piece of broiled fish with them. Jesus was a fully resurrected body. It wasn't a spiritual sighting. It was a full resurrected body that still had scars, that still showed the wounds that had killed him. But that death could not continue. That death was removed by the resurrection. So he appears to his disciples on the first day of the resurrection, that Easter Sunday that we celebrated a couple of weeks ago, and he appears to his disciples for 40 more days after that. Luke writes in the first chapter of Acts, in verse 3, during the 40 days or after Jesus' crucifixion, he appeared to the apostles from time to time, and he proved to them in many ways that he was actually alive, and he talked to them about the kingdom of God. And so these are the testimonies that we have, that Jesus was, was touched, that they ate with him, that they had these experiences with him, that this was not just a, a spiritual apparition, but that it was truly Jesus, who had been crucified, dead, buried, but was now alive. And Jesus is clear that he is not a ghost. When he says to his disciples, Look at my hands. Look at my feet. You can see that it's really me. Touch me. Make sure that I am not a ghost because ghosts don't have bodies as you see that I do have. Today we can also see Jesus and experience Jesus when we gather around food. Even though Jesus may not be physically present with us here, we know that he is spiritually present. He comes to us through the gift and the grace of food. As we gather for the Lord's Supper, we, we've been doing that every, every Sunday morning here at the 8 o'clock service, which has been wonderful. As we gather for the Lord's Supper, Jesus reveals himself to us in the bread and in the wine. He comes to eat and to drink with us, with you, he comes for you. And we continue our journey into belief, not just by seeing and experiencing through the sacrament, but also by hearing the words of the resurrected Jesus and his teaching from the scriptures. Jesus seems to be saying that when we read and when we hear the scriptures, we can hear 
the promise that comes to us through Jesus' death and resurrection. The faithful will read the scriptures to hear the promises of God revealed. This is what Jesus says about us, the faithful. Then he said, when I was with you before, I told you that everything written about me in the law of Moses, in the prophets, and in the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. And he said, yes, it was written long ago that the Messiah would suffer and die and rise from the dead on the third day. Jesus is telling us here that if we want the way to God's kingdom, we will find the way by following him. And we follow him by seeing him, his testimonies, the testimony of the disciples, by experiencing him in the food that we have to eat, in particular in, in the Lord's Supper. And we will find him in the words that he spoke and in the scriptures that he teaches. And what he's teaching his disciples in these last days before his ascension, what he is teaching them is critically important. Because in the world's view, this would be the time for revenge. We've been attacked by the evil one. He's put our Savior to death. And the Savior is now raised from the dead. It's time for us to march against the world and to crush the world. We're going to get revenge against all those religious leaders, against all those government leaders. We're going to get revenge. That's the world's way of thinking. But what Jesus is teaching his disciples is a completely different way, a way that doesn't make sense to many people. What Jesus says is we find the truth through following what Jesus did, through his suffering and his death and his vindication. And these things demonstrate for us God's mercy. Not God's vengeance, God's mercy. I mean, if God wanted to get even, I mean, he could have leveled the whole earth. But that was not God's intent. God's intent was something different. Instead of vengeance, God gives you and me grace. Instead of, instead of uh, punishment, God gives you and me forgiveness. Instead of eternal death, condemnation, God gives you and me eternal life. Friends, this is the good news that true righteousness is not seen in acts of retaliation but in acts of mercy. So what words are we listening to? Are they words of condemnation and hatred? Or are they words of mercy and kindness? I mean, throughout the day, we listen to lots of words, do we not? But the words that Jesus teaches are the words that we should be focused on. Those are the words that we should be listening to, that we could see in all of the scriptures, all of the Hebrew scriptures, and certainly in the New Testament, that we could see that the suffering and the death and the resurrection of Jesus 
is the key to our faith. It is the key to believing. And these words are essential for us to listen to, to hear the word of God, the words of Jesus, the word of the Holy Spirit. But Jesus is also telling us that the words we speak matter as well. As disciples teaching others to be disciples, what we are learning is that there is forgiveness. There is forgiveness of sin, not for just some, not just for the followers of Jesus. There is forgiveness of sin for everyone, for anyone. Anyone who repents receives God's forgiveness. It is freely given. This is good news. You could have been the worst person in the world. God still loves you. God still redeems you and forgives you. And God has given you a whole new life. Jesus is telling us that if we want the way to God's kingdom, we will find it by following him. And so we remind each other of these words and these scriptures because that is how those early disciples were sent out. After eating with Jesus, he shows them that he was truly alive and he sent them out. After teaching them and reminding them of all that he had instructed them about, all of his words, he said, you are now witnesses. Go out with this word. You know, a witness is one who has specific knowledge about an event that they have observed, that they have experienced. But it's not just the information. A witness is also called to testify to that experience, to those words that they have observed. And so as followers of Jesus, I believe we are called to be witnesses. There are two ways that God will reveal himself to us according to the scripture today. One, thankfully, is food. Enjoy food together with other believers. And use that time for encouragement. And let's gather again together where we can come and celebrate the Lord's Supper together. Because it is through these experiences of food that God reveals himself to us. But let's also remember and remind one another of all that Jesus has taught us from his words. That we are the people of God, the children of God, as we prayed this morning. We are the children of God. And we are called now because of our experiences, because of the words that we have learned, we are called to testify by our lives, by our actions, that we are here to restore the broken creation. Not us, but God through us. We will be God's hands and feet 
and mouthpiece. As we think about this resurrection story, may we be reminded that Jesus was not a ghost, that his resurrection was real, and that he is alive today, and that he wants us to continue to be a witness and to testify to that which we know. Amen.